Matthew chapter number 5. And if you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. may need some glasses here so I can see, <laughs> see what I'm doing. Uh, and we'll begin in uh, Psalm chapter 84, and we'll begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord, for my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. And now if you'll look with me at Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, and look with me, just one verse, verse number 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then I'm going to read you one uh, a verse for you. you. You need not turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and verse number 15, the Apostle Paul writes to the, the church at Corinth, he said, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Notice that phrase, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I want to preach to you on a kind of a peculiar title this morning, a little bit strange, but I want to preach to you on this title, God-given addictions. God-given addictions. And a little strange title, but I think you'll see where we're headed as we get into the message. But uh, let's pray together, and then you can be seated. We'll preach a little bit. Father, we thank you for all you've done for us. I pray that you'd bless our church family. Thank you that if for those of us who are saved, uh, he is mine. He belongs to us. Jesus is ours, and we have eternal life in Christ. We have an abundant life in Christ. Father, help us to rejoice in that today. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word now, the all-important preaching of the Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible. Thank you that we have uh, the, uh, the this... Uh, the inspired, inerrant uh, book that, that God wrote, the King James Bible in our language, and we praise you for it. I pray that you'd help us as we gather around it, as we hear it, as we preach it. And Father, most of all, as we apply it to our hearts, Father, remind us this morning of some very important things. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> Let me just say this. I see uh, I was reminded this morning, and uh, let's see, Brother Curtis, wave at me. Maybe I slipped out. I, I, was, I saw it just a few moments ago. Uh, today would have been, uh, today is, uh, uh, Mrs. Curtis's uh, 75th birthday. And uh, Brother Roger reminded me of that a while ago. And, of course, uh, you continue to pray for him and, and the loss of his wife. And uh, she's celebrating her birthday today, but she's doing it in a different location. And uh, we praise the Lord for the reality of heaven. And uh, do pray for Brother Roger, if you will. <clears throat> the word addicted is used in the Bible only one time. And we just read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Bible says that there was a group of people there who addicted themselves to the ministry. That's interesting to me. It's the only time you ever read the word <coughs> addicted in the Scriptures. And it's ironic that it's used in a good way. <laughs> uh, these people in, in the church at Corinth, this group of people, they... They addicted themselves to the ministry. They were addicts of the ministry, if you will. They couldn't help themselves because of the ministry, if you will. And I got to thinking about that. You know, 
One of the sad realities of our world and our culture in 2018 is the number of people who are addicted to substances or to behaviors that have them literally enslaved. That's a horrible thing. Uh, I praise the Lord for the uh, the RU program, and it's a, it's a wonderful program, and they meet every uh, uh, Friday evening at 7 o'clock, and uh, uh, it's a, it's a faith-based, uh, faith based, based on the Word of God, addictions program. <clears throat> and I thank God for everyone who has been helped. Many of you in here, you have been helped uh, through the years and, and would give testimony to that. But understand something. The last statistic I heard, and I don't know if this is still accurate, and again, I'm not uh, testifying to the validity of it. This, I'm just passing on a statistic that I heard. Was that up to 80% of society in America is classified as quote-unquote functioning addicts. Functioning people who have addictions. I don't claim the validity of that statistic, but regardless, it is shocking and heartbreaking to see the hurt that is caused by sin. And by the way, you mark it down. If, it's, if it is hurtful, you can trace the roots of the hurt back to sin. Uh, if uh, God doesn't hurt people, okay, God is not the one who who is the author of sin. God doesn't. God is not the one who authored the hurts caused by sin. Now, God does judge sin, but the judgment that comes from sin is is really self inflicted. Uh, because God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, and we understand that. The message this morning is not necessarily directed to those kinds of addictions, but let me say this, if you struggle with addictions to alcohol or drugs or any other wicked substance or behavior, I've got good news for you, there is hope. There is hope. And that hope for troubled hearts, the hope for those who are uh, held by a stronghold of addictions is not found in uh, in anything other than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hope, and and so if you are struggling this morning, uh, don't don't take this as anyone taking your addiction lightly or or anyone uh, uh, belittling it at all because it's a serious thing. But understand something: first of all, you're among friends this morning. And uh, you're, a, you're a place that wants to help you. You're a place that wants to, first of all, point you to the one who can break the chains that bind you, whatever, however strong they may be. And by the way, he's been at it for the last 2,000 years. His name is Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so uh, I don't want you to, to feel like there's a hopelessness involved because that's not the case at all. We live in a world that's filled with despair and despondency. We live in a world that's looking for answers and looking to fill a void in their lives. We, people are looking for fulfillment today, fulfillment in pleasures, fulfillment in uh, uh, material things. Many people try to, uh, to, to uh, fill the void that they have by filling their life with things, filling their life with stuff, filling their life with uh, uh, relationships of all uh, uh, forms and so forth, and, uh, and they, they think that if they do enough of these things, they can somehow fill the void that they find in and of themselves. But the reality is, God made you with a void in your life that only He can fill. God made you with a void, that, with a, a, a craving, if you will, and that craving cannot be satisfied with beer. That craving cannot be satisfied with uh, immorality. That craving cannot be satisfied with pleasures. That craving cannot be satisfied with anything that this world has to offer, whether it be a bad thing or whether it be just 
a lot of other things that aren't necessarily bad of themselves. Let me tell you something. Only one thing can fill the void that God made in your life that was made for Him to fill, and that's Him. Some people try to fill that void with the activities and, and uh, just trying to busy themselves and, and looking for this and looking for that uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to help the, uh, that inner void that they have. Yesterday I went by the store and, and, uh, uh, and of course uh, many people look at this uh, this weekend, next weekend for that matter, as July 4th weekend. There's all kinds of parties and celebrations and so forth. And uh, <clears throat> I went to the store yesterday and standing in line, I just looked around me and I was the only one out of about 10 people in line who wasn't purchasing alcohol. I mean, liquor was flowing out of that store like a flood. And understand something, folks are looking for, some folks, they're looking for satisfaction in a bottle. Whether it be a beer bottle or a liquor bottle or a pill bottle, let me tell you something, you're not going to find it there. You're just not going to find it. They're looking for an escape from reality. They're looking for acceptance from friends. They're looking for uh, or to fill a void that they have inside. And now, if I just described you this morning, you'll not find that fulfillment in a bottle. You just won't. You can try all you want. You can. Try, and by the way, why in the world would you turn to something to try to help you forget about life? I, I say this often, but uh, uh, I, I like the fact that I can have a good time in the Lord. I can have a lot of fun. I can enjoy life. I can enjoy my family. And I can do it in such a way where I don't have to drink to try to forget about the enjoyment I had. <laughs> this world's all messed up. They talk about having all kinds of fun, but when they wake up the next morning, they can't remember the fun that they had. John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice what he said. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it, don't miss it, more abundantly. Can I help you this morning? God not only wants you to go to heaven when you die, God wants you to enjoy the journey from here to heaven. God doesn't want you to, uh, to go through this life uh, uh, down in the dumps, discouraged, despondent. And, uh, and, you know, I understand why people who try to addict themselves or somehow maybe not try to addict themselves, but people who become addicted to the vices that we just talked about, I can understand why they would be miserable. For the life of me, I have a hard time understanding why God's people are miserable. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, because Jesus said, I want you not just to have eternal life, everlasting life, life that will never end, but I want you to have an abundant life on this side of eternity. And by the way, you can have that. Uh, sometimes I'll hear someone sarcastically say, why don't you just get a life? <laughs> uh, has anyone ever said that to you? Don't raise your hand. But anyway, uh, has your spouse said that to you? Uh, but anyway, uh, someone will say, hey, why don't you just get a life? Well, you know, I know that this morning, the only way that you'll have a life that is worth living is through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ. Everlasting life. Abundant life. I feel sorry for those folks who are trying to escape reality and drowning their sorrows on Friday night because they can't cope with what's going on. Hey, if you're, if you're trying to endure or escape this life by popping pills or living some kind of fa a fake fantasy world, what you need this morning is not a pill, it's a person. Jesus. Now, to those of you who are saved this morning, and, and, and by and large, the message is directed to those who are saved. We'll come back to those of you who may not have assurance of salvation here in a little bit, but 
the majority of the message this morning from here on out is directed to those who are saved, I want to introduce you to some God-given addictions. God-given addictions. You say, Pastor, you mean God wants me to be addicted to some things He does? To some things He does. Now, those things we talked about a little while ago, He doesn't want you addicted to alcohol. In fact, He doesn't, he doesn't want you to look at it. You know what? I found this to be true. If I don't look at it, I probably won't ever drink it. If I don't ever drink it, I'll probably never get drunk from it. <laughs> the Bible says, some of you are thinking, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's an interesting parallel that God makes there. He said to the Spirit-filled Christian, the, the, it's the, the Spirit is to control the Christian as alcohol controls the man who's drunk. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, when you yield your life to the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you, you can become addicted to some things that will seem very strange to your flesh. To your flesh. <clears throat> For some of you, when I talk about addictions, uh, you don't think about anything that I'm getting ready to talk about right now. But there's some things that God wants you to addict yourself to, if you will. And I want to share those with you this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. I, I just drew uh, three or four of them just uh, for the sake of the message. But first of all, I want you to see this. God wants us to be addicted to His house. God wants you to be addicted to church. <laughs> you say, preacher, that may be the weirdest addiction I've ever heard of in my life. <clears throat> uh, you know, for this, for, for, for the church addiction, you know, you don't have to have a support group to get over it. Because the good thing about church is, this is a support group. <laughs> hey, you're looking at one of the greatest support groups in all of the world. It's a Bible-based support group. It's based on the truth of the Word of God. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. God wants us to be addicted to His house. Let me direct your attention back to our text verse that we read a few moments ago, Psalm chapter 84 and verse number 1. The Bible says, this is David, the chief musician, speaking here. He said, Amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You know, you read that even from a casual reading of the book of Psalms, and not just this passage, but many others like it, you find that David loved the house of God. He loved it. It wasn't something he dreaded. He, I mean, he enjoyed it. He, he actually came to church, and he had a smile on his face. <laughs> You know, that was a hint for you, okay. All right. Oh, okay. Anyway. Uh, man, he loved it. It was great. It was awesome. It was something he looked forward to. It wasn't drudgery. It wasn't something that he just fulfilled out of a sense of duty every week. No. he said. In fact, he said in Psalm 122, verse number 1, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He said, man, I got excited about it. I got fired up about it. Uh, uh, Brother Wolverson shared in Sunday school this morning his testimony. This is their, uh, today's marks the 37th anniversary of their family coming to Lake Crest Baptist Church. You know what? That's, a, that's wonderful. Hey, God help us to have a love for the church. Now, th there may be folks here, you, you've been coming here longer than 37 years, and that's wonderful, but let's not, it, it's not the longevity, that's not all of it. The other part of it is, hey, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
hey, we're not, we're not counting the Sundays like some prisoner in a jail cell uh, counting the days to when he gets out. <laughs> you know, you've you seen those uh, depictions of this guy, he's got a piece of chalk or some kind of a stone or something he's using to mark on the wall of his jail cell. Yep, there goes another day. Yep, there goes another day. That's how, that's how I feel like some Christians are about church. Yep, there goes another service. Yep, there goes another Wednesday night. Yeah, there goes another Sunday night. <clears throat> Will he ever finish this? But anyway, and uh, <clears throat> no, no, God doesn't want us to dread his house. He wants us to enjoy his house. He doesn't want us to endure Christianity. He wants us to love it and to love being around God's people. I'm simply saying it wasn't a dreaded thing at all for David. It was one of the highlights of his week. It was his priority. By the way, church ought to be our priority. As far as organizations in this life, look, I'll be honest with you, church is all I've ever known. I'm 48 years old, be 49 soon, and uh, you get that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, for 48 years now, I've been drugged. I've been drugged to church on Sunday morning. I've been drugged to church on Sunday night. I've been drugged to church on Wednesday night. <clears throat> Revival meetings and camps and conferences and, and uh, special days and you name it. Man, that's, just, that's my life. It's all I've ever known. And many of you, that's your testimony. And uh, so for some of you, church is, is uh, somewhat new to you. Either way, whether you've been at it all your life or it's something that's sort of new to you, hey, don't ever, don't ever grow accustomed to church. See it for how God sees it. And God sees it as something special. Hey, I'll tell you how special it is to God. The Bible says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. The Bible says it is so special that, that Jesus shed his own blood for the church. And this, uh, this morning, Sunday school lesson, we talked about the church, and one of the two ordinances of the church is the Lord's table. You know why that Jesus instituted, one of the reasons he instituted the Lord's table for his church? He didn't, he didn't want us as a collective body to forget the price that was paid for us to have a church. That's why when we, when we partake of that wafer and that juice that represents the broken body and the shed and applied blood of Christ, hey, it should remind us of what Jesus did for us personally and collectively. It was his priority. It was David's passion. And he loved church. He loved it. I understand church in the Old Testament is a little different than, uh, uh, than, than what we have here today, but there's a, there's a corollary there. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, it was the Old Testament tabernacle or, or, or temple or whatnot, wherever, whatever the, the time frame, however that uh, uh, worked during specific period uh, times of history. But the reality is David loved the house of God. It helped him with his purpose. And by the way, church will help you with the right purposes in life. Church will help you with, it'll help you maintain the right perspective. I believe it's, uh, uh, I don't have it written down, and, and the, 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 uh, the chapter number escaped me right now, but, but David said, or maybe it was Asaph, the other psalmist, who said, you know, there were some things that I looked at when I beheld the prosperity of the wicked, and, and it didn't make sense to me. He said, but then I went to the house of God. I went to the house of God, and it, it, it fixed all my thinking. Hey, let me tell you something else the church will do for you. It helps you maintain the right perspective about eternal things. If you're not careful, you'll go Monday through Saturday, you'll go throughout the week, and you'll look around at what's going on in the world, and you may become disillusioned. You may become disenchanted. You may, you may think that wickedness is winning and sin is prevailing and, and the corruption in our society has overwhelmed everything. But hey, let me tell you something. When you come to church on the Lord's Day, when you come to church on Wednesday night, we're reminded, I'm reminded that God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He hasn't taken a nap. Behold, he that keepeth Israel, Psalm 121 says, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And God says, hey, it's all right. It's okay. 
And David said, boy, I just love church. I'm addicted to church. I'm addicted to God's house. Christians who have a faltering relationship with the local church, don't miss this, will have a faltering relationship with the Lord. That's true. That's true. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? I can, I can read my Bible by myself. Yes, you can. Preacher, what's the big deal? I can pray. I don't need anybody to help me pray. And that's true. And those are wonderful things. <clears throat> but understand something. If you're able to come to church and willfully stay away from church, you're, you're on thin ice in your spiritual condition. I don't say that. Uh, I say that lovingly this morning. I'm not here to, to beat you up. Uh, I, I'm simply saying Christians who have a faltering relationship with their local church will have a faltering relationship with the Lord. They're, they're, they're inseparable. They're inseparable. In Hebrews chapter 10, and verse number 25, the Bible says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is." See, even in Paul's day, there were people who neglected the importance of church. Even in Paul's day, there were people who stayed away when they should have been there. Even in Paul's day, there were people who found other things in their life that became more of a priority, more important to them than church. But I'll promise you this, when you willfully neglect the house of God, it will show up in your spiritual temperature at some point. I promise you that. They're two inseparable things. I, uh, I told you, I, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in church. I told you my mom and dad, it was never a question in my house. I never had to ask my dad, Dad, are we going to church today? <laughs> Never had to, not one time. In 18 years in my dad's house, never one time did I say, are we going to church? It wasn't a matter of are we going, it was how early are we going? What time are we going to get there? And uh, hey, understand something, it became important to me, not just because it was taught by my parents, but because it was modeled in the lives of my parents. That's an important factor right there. By the way, mom and dad, your kids are more likely to do what you model than what you tell them to do. It's easy for us to say, do as I say and not as I do. And, and we've probably all said that about something at some point. <laughs> uh, for, you know, for example, when, uh, when dessert time comes around and I see that there's one piece left and I see other sets of eyes in the house looking at that same piece. And uh, I say, ah, that's mine. But dad, aren't you going to live for others? No, do as I do, not as I say. But anyway, <laughs> or do as I say, not as I do. <clears throat> but uh, it's called pulling rank when it's appropriate. But anyway, <clears throat> and every dad in this room, you have done that. And if you, and if you say you haven't, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But anyway, <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> hey, I'm simply saying we need, as parents, we need not just to, to have a good talk, but we need to model faithfulness to church. Model a love for the church. Look, it's not healthy if we go home on Sunday afternoon and have fried preacher for dinner. I don't taste very good, by the way. Anyway, uh, that's not good. If, if the only thing our kids ever hear about church is negative, what's wrong about it, who did this, who's not, who, you know, bless God, you know, he's such a hypocrite, you know. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of good people who go to church here. And, and the truth of the matter is, if you look hard enough, you can find good about anybody. And the last thing our kids need to hear is about the humanity or someone's not being what they ought to be. I'm saying, look, why don't we decide that we're going to love this place? We're going to love it. Your kids may hear what you say or what is said from this pulpit about the importance of faithfulness to church, but if other activities frequently take the place of church, don't be surprised if church is a foreign concept to your grandkids. 
I've seen it happen over and over and over again. You see, one generation takes a lackadaisical attitude. <clears throat> the second generation has even less of a powerful attitude. And then the third generation, they don't know anything about it. Well, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. I'm simply saying God wants us to be addicted to his house. It ought to be something that is habitual in our lives, and a, an addiction, if you will, in a good way. Number two, not, God not only wants us to be addicted to his house, God also wants us to be addicted to his presence. God wants us to be addicted to his presence. Psalm chapter 42 and verse number 2, the Bible says this. Again, this is David the psalmist, the, the chief musician speaking here. He said, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, understand, I, <clears throat> I read that and, and I, I see the, the pathos and the emotion kind of between the lines. And he say, he's saying, My soul thirsteth for God. What is it that we, we get thirsty for? When it's 95 degrees outside, you're thirsty for just about anything that's wet. I understand that. But can we honestly say in our own spiritual lives we're thirsty for God? We have an appetite for God. We're, if you will, addicted to His presence. You know, it's a sad thing, but many believers have become apathetic in this matter of having a personal walk with the Lord. That's sad. If we were to go around the room and, and, uh, and everybody would disclose how much time they spent personally with the Lord this week, we'd probably all be embarrassed, bottom line. But understand something. Many of us have just never developed a taste, if you will. Never developed an appetite for spiritual things. Never developed a hunger, an addiction, if you will. In, in a lot of cases, it's a take-it-or-leave-it mentality. You know, I, I, uh, I've discovered something about prayer. And that is this, the more time you spend with God, the more you realize how necessary it is to spend time with God. I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my life when prayer time was, my flesh, but by the way, your flesh never wants to do anything that's right. You say, preacher, I'm struggling to pray. That, that, that's the way it is, okay? You know why? Because you have a, a sinful nature that doesn't want to do anything that's right. Your flesh doesn't want to come to church. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. Your flesh doesn't want to win souls. Your flesh doesn't want to do anything it's supposed to do. But the Bible says we're not supposed to be dominated by our flesh. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. And so even when I don't feel like doing what I ought to do, hey, I ought to do it. And the more I pray, the more I realize how necessary it is for me to pray. It almost becomes a, a, uh, uh, a, a, a another an addiction, so to say. I realize i got to have it. I've got to have God's presence. I've got to have His power in my life. I can't make it without Him. And the, the more aware you and I are, or the more we pray, the more aware we become that we need Him. We need His presence. So much of our prayer life has become a 911 call to heaven. <laughs> Let's face it. So much of our prayer, prayer often gets neglected until something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. It's one of those red boxes you see in, in different places, and there's this little thing, this little hammer there, and it says, in case of fire, break. <laughs> That's prayer to many Christians. We only pray when things are really dire, when things are really desperate, when things are really tough. Hey, why don't we decide that we're going to need God before we really need God? You see, 
we look at spending time with God as a way to change our circumstances. God, don't miss this, God looks at prayer as a way for Him to change you. Here's what we do. We pray, we say, God, I need this and this and this and this and this. And God, I don't have a lot of time, okay, so listen real fast. <laughs> That's why we treat Him. God, I've got some needs this week. I've got some things. Oh, oh and by the way, God, I've got an appointment in 10 minutes, so I'm going to make this quick. You listen fast, I'll talk fast, and uh, you get this down, and I want you to give me everything because this is what I need. And, and, and we, we treat God as if He's some spare tire. God is not looking as much to change your circumstances, although God does look to help you, and God will help your circumstances. But I believe this, the primary reason, the primary purpose in our praying as far as God's concerned is not so that He can get us out of a fix or get us out of a pickle, so to speak, as they say down south, but God is looking to change me. And the more time I spend with God, whatever the reason for doing it is, God is working on my heart. He's making me more in tune with His will. That's why Jesus said when He was teaching His disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11, He said, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You understand that's a tall order. God is trying to get your will in sync with His will. Your will in sync with His Word. And the more I spend, the more time I spend with God, the more in tune with God's will my will becomes. He's looking to change me, not just my circumstances. God wants us, God wants us to be addicted to His presence. How much time have you spent in God's presence this week? In His presence. By the way, <clears throat> God will meet you anywhere. He'll meet you anywhere. Hey, you don't have to be in a church service to be in God's presence. I, you know, we talk about church, and we mentioned this morning Sunday school, but this church building, it's a wonderful, beautiful building. Thank God for it. <clears throat> but, but the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. He lives inside of me, and God wants to communicate. God wants to fellowship. God wants to commune with every single one of us, and He wants us to want to be with Him. God wants us, if you will, may I say, to be addicted to His presence. I hasten... <clears throat> very quickly and I'll skip here a couple just for the sake of time but let me just hasten to say this finally this morning God wants us to be addicted to serving others God wants us to be addicted to serving others 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse number 15 I beseech you brethren you know the house of Stephanus that is, that is, is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The word ministry there is service. Let me help you with something. <clears throat> ministry is, as a word is often misunderstood, but the word minister or ministry it means to serve. It means to serve. Sometimes we talk about serving the Lord. Well, how do you do that? I mean, God's up in heaven. We're down here. Uh, how, do we, how do we serve the Lord? That's a big term. And uh, sometimes we use that word almost sanctimoniously. We, we don't even think about what we're saying. We say, well, you ought to serve the Lord, and we ought to serve the Lord. But how do you do that? I mean, practically speaking. Jesus said, and as much as ye have done something unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Isn't that what he said? I was thinking about this as, uh, as, as I think about people in our church who serve <clears throat> others. You serve the Lord by serving other people. 
Uh, there, there are people who served as Sunday school teachers this morning. They were serving the Lord by serving other people. People who helped uh, uh, little bus children get to church this morning. Folks who got on a bus and and uh, and drove a bus route this morning and uh, and had to get up early to do so. What were they doing? They were serving the Lord by serving people. And there's all kinds of different ways to serve the Lord. All kinds of different ways to serve other people. But really, the word ministry it's all about service, serving the Lord. Those people who passed out gospel tracts and knocked on doors on Thursday night, what are they doing? They were serving the Lord by serving people, by trying to keep folks from, from going to hell and giving them the gospel. Hey, what a wonderful thing. I'm simply saying the way to serve God is to serve people, but there ought to be a mindset among believers that says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to develop an appetite for serving. We live in a, such a self-serving society, don't we? We live in a society where people are looking to be served, not willing to serve. We live in a day where everybody, it's, everything is self. Self this, self that. We even have selfie sticks. And uh, how many of you brought your selfie? No, I want to ask you that. But anyway, uh, here in church, you know. But that's, that's symptomatic of our society. Everything is self-driven. You know what? That's the antithesis of what the Bible teaches. Because this book is all about serving others and serving the Lord. And the way I serve Jesus is by serving those whom He loves. The way that I serve Jesus is to serve my spouse. The way that I serve Jesus is to serve my children. The way that I serve Jesus is to serve the people of Lake Crest Baptist Church. The way that I serve Jesus is to serve the people of this community by trying to get the, the gospel to them and helping them in any way that I can. Hey, understand something. God wants us to be addicted to service, to serving. And by the way, let me say this. If our church ever gets to a place where we're more consumed without, about being served than by serving others, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. You see, God wants you to be addicted to some really good things. Addicted to His house? Absolutely. Addicted to His presence? For sure. And we didn't talk about this morning. God wants, us, God wants me to be addicted to His Word. David said, I've, I've, uh, uh, he said, I, I need thy word, Jesus, uh, Father, uh, more than I need my necessary meats. <laughs> Boy, you talk about that. Uh, <clears throat> we don't have time to belabor the point. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. God wants me to be addicted to his character, to righteousness and holiness. But understand something. God wants us to be addicted to some really good things. You see... This God-given addiction stuff might seem foreign to some of you. Some of you right now are sitting in that pew and you're thinking, addicted to church. Really? Really? Preacher, is that the best you can do today? Really? Addicted? <laughs> addicted to church? Addicted to God's presence? Seriously? Addicted to holy and righteous living? Really? Addicted to serving others? Are you serious? Hey, some of this doesn't make sense to some of you, and in some cases, it doesn't make sense because none of this is possible unless you first belong to God. <laughs> this is a foreign language to you unless you belong to Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's going to make sense. You see, you cannot belong to God until you receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. And once you get saved, then the Holy Spirit sheds light on the Word of God, and you say, you know what, that makes sense. 
For some of you, it doesn't make sense to you why anybody would get up on a cold January morning and come down here and start a bus. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to you. It doesn't make any sense to you why anybody would, would, would give a night of their week to, uh, to be here on a Wednesday night or to go knocking on doors on a Thursday night or something like that. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't commute or compute to you. Is it because that you don't know Christ? Or maybe it doesn't make sense because you're saved all right, but your life is so wrapped up in you that nothing else matters. You see, <clears throat> Jesus is not only the answer to your sinful addictions, but he's the one who makes all the God-given addictions possible. He's the one who makes it possible. Hey, <clears throat> I, ought to, I ought to want to be addicted to what God wants me to be addicted to because Jesus paid for my sins. Man, what a great thing. What a wonderful thing. Hey, I would not expect an unsaved man to want to come to church. I wouldn't expect that. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, not only am I not addicted to church, <clears throat> I'm, not a, I'm not sure why I'm even here. Could it be that you're not saved? <clears throat> Could it be that you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and so that's why none of this makes sense? But hey, I'll tell you something. Jesus said, I'll, I'll harken back to the verse we read a while ago. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God will open up a whole new world to you that never made sense before. Never made sense. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. And my friend, there's two groups of people in this room this morning. There's one group of people to whom this makes no sense whatsoever. What did the preacher talk about today? Well, he talked about God-given addictions. I'm still not sure where he was coming from, but hey, whatever. Uh, if that's you this morning, could it be that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? But I'll promise you this. The moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He not only gives you eternal life, the Bible says He makes it possible for you to have an abundant life. If you're here this morning and you're bound by chains of addiction, you're bound by chains of sin, you're bound by, you've got this outlook that says there's no hope, there's no way that God could ever use me, there's no way that my life is ever going to amount to anything. Could it be this morning you might need to change your addictions? Change your addictions from that which is destroying your life to Him who is promising an abundant life. You can have it. You can have it. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening so well. Let me just ask a couple of questions by...